Good morning, midday, evening, afternoon, whatever it is. It's evening here in Dubai. I'm still a little bit jet lagged, so I don't think my body really knows what time it is either. And of course, a lot of the track work is you know, early morning starts. This morning, uh, I was at the track at about 3.45 a.m. Now, I'm not going to lie, that kind of reminds me of the Australian times. And no, no, I'd like to sleep. That 3 a.m. alarm clock is a little bit painful. But welcome to Talk Racing to Me with Naomi. Wonderful episode coming up. Dubai World Cup special. And I have a guest for you that is very familiar with the Dubai scene. He has won the Group 1 Dubai Golden Shaheen twice. Back-to-back wins in 2017 and 2018 with a horse that he trained and part-owned in Mind Your Biscuits. I am, of course, talking about Chad Summers, trainer as well as handicapper stateside and on Dubai Racing Channel here. So he's going to help me run through the uh, nine race cars, of which we'll cover eight in the upcoming podcast. There's so much wonderful information for you to digest. And I really got to admit, I'm really, really happy with this episode. Some stories around the horses that you otherwise would have never known come to the fore. And of course, Chad also talks about his two-time New York Horse of the Year triple grade one winner mind you all one time grade one two time group one so still the same thing it's just uh, an episode you don't want to miss especially if you are going to be following the action in the uae uh, come hopefully this weekend little bit of a housekeeping note i we did record uh, together of course social distance hence i had to have the mic fully cranked up. So you hear anything, like I click or I type something, you hear everything. So just be aware of that. And the first segment, I think the first 15 minutes, the mic wasn't correctly adjusted for uh, dual uh, voices, basically to, to put it quite bluntly. So once adjusted, it does sound a fair bit better. Nonetheless, really hope you enjoyed this one. We've both here in Dubai, very fortunate to be here for what marks the 25th year since the first running of the Dubai World Cup. But let's start with your experience here. You've been very successful as a trainer, winning uh, the Group 1 Golden Shaheen back-to-back with Mind Your Biscuits and also setting the track record. Now, that's kind of my first question here because looking up the track record, um, in 2018, he said it, uh, there's two different times reported, 110.12 and 110.12. One nine. What is it? It's one ten point one two, and and the thing is, in America, sometimes people go one ten point one two is slow. I mean, they go one oh eight and change in Santa Anita, one oh seven and change. You know, the grass races and go one oh six, one oh five. What the difference is, the races here in Dubai they start directly on the pole, where in America they have the run up from the gate. So it's it's a little bit of a different thing. It's basically almost a second and a half difference. And that's why you'll see consistently the times are slower in Dubai than they are in America. Um, the funny story about that was I had gone out to lunch the Friday before the race with Laura King, who's the presenter here on, on Dubai Racing TV, and her husband, Clint. And Clint is not like a huge racing fan, but obviously he gets into it. And he goes, oh, you, you have a chance. And I said, listen, I said, not only do I have a chance, I said, we're going to win and we're going to set the track record. So that was in 2018 when you already had won it in 2017. Yeah, that was 2018. And 
we won, we set the track record, and if we didn't set the track record, we wouldn't have won because he won by the smallest of margins in what was an unbelievable race that at no point did I think we were a winner. I mean, going into the race, I was very, very confident. Um, he was training super. He, he had really filled out turning from four to five and was coming into the race the way that I felt like he had to come into the race. But, you know, you had horses like XY Jed and Roy H, who was the defending champion, uh, along with, you know, a slew of international competitors, which is what Dubai is all about. And uh, we needed to set the, the track record, and, and we did it, thankfully. That must be a special feeling that you're still the holder of that track record. Well, I mean, it makes watching the races uh, on the internet every Thursday during the carnival and, you know, on Saturday night, on Super Saturday and on the big day here. And you're like, oh, you know, I hope I hold on to it. You know, <laughs> it it's, it's probably silly and track records are made to be broken and his record might get broken this year. They've broken the seven furlong record this year. They broke the mile and a quarter record already this year. So I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if the record does get broken in the Golden Shaheen this year. But it, it's just one of those things. It's like uh, a little bit of bragging rights. Um, uh, we're the best. And, and, you know, in a sport that's filled of up and downs, any chance you have to just kind of show something on paper that we're the best at something, it's always a good thing. Yeah, it must be pretty good feeling. And you mentioned track records have been broken over various distances already. What would you attribute that to? Um, the way the track is playing. And, and it's weird because, you know, having walked the track earlier this week, it's it's deeper than it's been in the past. Obviously, they'll roll it down and, and it'll be fast on the night. But um, it seems like it's been very safe and it seems like it's played very, very fair this year. Um, I talked to some of the top riders who have been riding these meets over here, Richie Mullen, I talked to him the other day, and he goes, look, he goes, we don't know, it, it feels like it's slower, but for whatever reason, the horses really seem like they're taking a hold of the track, and the weather's been good here uh, all year. When it gets hot, it, it kind of gets it tougher to kind of climb over it, but there have been ideal conditions so far, and I think that's what's led to these fast times. But the, the biggest thing, especially as we look ahead to Saturday, is the track's been fair in the past you know, it was maybe compared a little bit to like the old Keeneland race course where there's a speed bias. And if you make the lead and you're on the inside, you're a winner. And, you know, this year you've been able to come from out of it. You've been able to come from third, you've been able to come from eighth or last. And uh, we saw that on Super Saturday in some of the races. And, and I think that trend can continue on Saturday, but it, it allows you to have excitement going into this race saying, you know what, I'm going to handicap this race and the best horse will win. And, and, when you're a handicapper, that's what you want. That's all you can ask for is that when I've done the work, that hopefully the work pays off. I'm not running against a, a biased track or, or anything like that. And then it's like, well, you know, I was the best, but this happened. And you don't want that. On, on any big event, you want the best horse and the best chance to step up. It makes for a lot more competitive racing for certain. Let's start with how Mind Your Biscuits came into your barn. So Minor Biscuits was a horse that we found as a yearling in the Saratoga sale in uh, in New York. And me and my dad and my brother had wanted to buy a horse. Uh, we had some other horses in the past, you know, cheaper horses. We The first horse we ever had, we, we bought for a dollar from the Aramins. That was a theatrical horse that cost like 500000 that Bobby Frankel trained and I was training him in a field in uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, just kind of running the fence line with him as he was getting ready to go back into training. I had no idea what I was doing. I probably still don't. Many people on Twitter say that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think the thing with Biscuits was we were actually looking at it as a pinhook. 
And we wanted a New York bread just in case it didn't work out. Uh, but we thought, you know what, let's take a chance. And when I was looking at all the horses in the sale, you, you go through your catalog and there's 300 New York breads in the sale or 600 New York breads in the sale. And you're like, all right, well, this one, this one. I, said, I don't want a posse. I cross all those out. And, you know, but at the yearling sales, because it's relatively a boutique sale, you get the opportunity to look at everything and you pull everything out of the stall. And uh, at that sale, he was in a tent, which was next to the uh, the feed company because the lady that was consigning him, uh, Carrie Brogdon, had so many horses in the sale that she had like 35 where normally in the other barns you'll have 10 or 15 or something like that. And uh, so it was a very short area to walk. And here he was, this big gangly looking thing. He was all head. He had a giant monster head and his body had not like grown in. I mean, he looked as awkward of a teenager as you can possibly do. And when you got to see him walk, you saw like a little glimpse, but it was such a short walkway that he didn't get a chance. So he goes to the back ring and all of a sudden he's walking like a monster. He's a giant. He's just moving so fluidly. And we're like, man, we really like this horse, but he's my posse. Like it. Yeah. You know, posse is a, a cool blue collar horse. But, you know, when you go to the sale, when you're looking at pin hooking a horse, you're not buying the horse for yourself necessarily. You're buying for what you think somebody else wants because your plan is just to own the horse for six months. Mm-hmm. And posse just wasn't sexy. And so we sat there and we're like, all right, let's see what happens. And he RNA for 47000 And there were a couple others we were looking at that sold for a lot of money. And we sat there and we got together and we said, let's try and buy this horse. And so uh, Susie Montaigne, who ended up breaking biscuits, talk about looking ahead here. She actually purchased Cowan uh, as we look ahead for, for this race is here, tie everything back to Maidan. Mm-hmm. She, she worked with Yapon as well uh, for the Hillebrots. She... She liked the horse as well, and we went partners with her, and Carrie Brogdon stayed in on the horse, and we bought him relatively inexpensive. I, I think it was it cost us $7,500 for 25% of the horse. We just had a leg, and we're like, all right, let's just, we'll take him to the sale. Everything will be fine, and I went to Ocala and watched him train. This was like three weeks, a month after we bought him, and just watched him gallop, and it was one of those things I'll never forget being there. We had another filly there at the time uh, that I purchased named Off the Tracks that would actually go on to win the grade one Mother Goose and ran well in the test and stuff like that. And she was she was the alpha dog. She was number one. But but Biscuits was, there was just something about him. Like you couldn't really put your finger on it. There's just something about him. And this kid, Dennis Chavez, um, had ridden Icebox all his life for Nick Zito. And he was working for Todd Pletcher's father and he was getting on 15 for Todd Pletcher's father and just helping Susan out. And all he wanted to do was get on biscuits. And he's like, listen, I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll come at 11 o'clock or whatever I do. I want to get on the source. This is the next icebox. And nobody thinks like, all right, get your icebox. But icebox did run second in the Kentucky Derby behind Super Saver. Just ask Nick Zito. He thinks he should have won. Right or wrong, right or wrong. But, uh, we loved them. We loved them. And I begged them. I said, let's scratch them from the sale. Let's just take them to the races. And like, nah, you know, we're sellers and that's what they do for a living. So we're like, all right, we'll go to the sale. And the week before the sale in OBS, um, they have the prep races. And normally you're just kind of like teasing them. You're showing them the pole. And it's just like a little bit of a walkthrough, a little bit of a practice run. And Biscuits is so competitive that he kind of caught a horse in front of him. And he saw him in like the corner of his eye. And he just took off to try and catch him. And so he actually practice breezed in 10 and 1. And normally... 
you're you're going about two fifths faster on the day. So you think, man, this horse is going to break ten seconds. He's going to bring all the money, everything else, and just by luck of the draw, by the name of your mother and things like that, what when you're going to breeze, um, something plays happens. a role because it gets. In Ocala, it's a tapita track, and so when it gets warmer out, the track gets hotter and the times get slower, and and that's why you'll see the better horses breeze at eight o'clock as soon as the track opens. That's when the horses are going out the the the, the big money expensive horses, and then you know the little guy horses and the the ones that are owned by you know people like like us that don't have all the the millions and millions of dollars. They're breezing at two o'clock in the afternoon, and they're breezing ten and four, and everybody goes ah that horse is no good. So when biscuits, well, hold on. Do you have anything to say about that? Or isn't that automatically sort of devised by the sales company? Who goes when? Well, so it it breaks down to a lot of different factors. Um, There's limited number of exercise riders back there, so they're working 180, 200 horses a day, and there's like 12 riders total. So how many horses that they can get on in the set? Because they break it up to every 50, 60 horses. And then they'll take a break and they'll, they'll work the track and let the exercise riders get some water or whatever the case may be. And so, uh, and then like in that time, Susan had six horses that day breezing. So they leave it up to the consigner to who is going to breeze when. And because he only cost $30,000, the horses that cost more money than him, you almost have an obligation to your owners. You're going to breeze before me. Right. So he breezed later on in the day. Thankfully for me, uh, and he breezed ten and three, and it was a pretty video. You can still go. You can go to OBS Sales, and I think it was two thousand and fifteen, and you can look up the breeze, which I always do before you go to the two-year-old sales. You're like, all right, this is what I'm looking for, and in the future prospects and stuff like that. And that's moved, like your barometer. Yeah, and then like he, he moved, he moved great. And I remember I talked to my friend Sean Feld, and he was back there watching the breezes with me. And I said, Sean, what did you think? What did you think? And he goes, Listen, the horse breezed great. But you're never going to sell this horse. He said, he breathes too slow. He's a posse, this, that, the other. But he breathes great. I'm like, all right, well, let's see what happens. He's not as sexy, is it? He was uh, hit like 1186 out of 1200. So it's a five-day sale. Now, at the time, I'm like torn because my obligation to to my dad and my brother who were on the horse with me and Susie and Carrie is, you know, we got to get this horse sold and, and try and make some money. So... I showed him to every New York trainer that was there. And they all said the same thing. We like him. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah, all right. But Nobody. the days went on and they bought their horses and they, they all left. By the time we were there, the, the ring was like empty. But when he walked in the ring, there's like 12 people there. So uh, he didn't sell $47,000. I would have kept going if somebody was kind of bidding on him because I love him so much. But he didn't sell. And I asked the partners what they wanted to do. I said... You know, figure it out. And the next day, I was driving to the airport, and Susan called me. She said, oh, you know, Scott Schwartz, who had trained the brother, who was not very talented, he said, Scott Schwartz came by the barn this morning, and, you know, he wants to buy the horse, and he'll give us $30,000. I think we should take it. And I said, listen, if you want to take it for $30,000, that's fine, but I'm buying you guys out for the $30,000. We'll just move forward. I said, I'm begging you guys, stay in the horse. He's 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 going to make it. He's going to be a cool horse. And they go, no, 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 no. We got to sell the horse. Okay. So next thing you know, we bought the horse on a $30,000 valuation. I brought my main client in, Jay Stables. And it just kind of took off from there. And he slowly but surely kind of grew into himself. He, he was, he, we took him to Calder and now Gulfstream Park West. And he started training and trained good. And this little kid was getting on him every day. And he 
like an old jockey, but he like never had any rides like that kind of jockey. He was in New York, right? We were going to take him to Saratoga. And the kid goes, can I ride him in Saratoga? I'll go down him for free every day in Saratoga if I can ride him in his first race. Like, you know, the, he just really liked him. Like, ah, we'll see what happens. And so we take him to Saratoga and he's breezing. Louis Saez is on him for three straight works. And he's working really good. And I get ready to enter him and I get a call from Louis Saez's agent. And Louis Saez's agent says, listen, Chad, I, I got to ride something else. I, I can't ride you in there. And uh, he's like, you, you want me to get your jockey? And I was like, no, I'm I'm on top of this. I said, I, I run it, and Joel Rosario's my guy. I said, I'm going to call Joel, and hopefully he's open. And he was. And he rolled the horse, and he ran second first time out. It just kind of ran out of room. And then we ran back, and we are on the also eligible list. And I'm, like, begging anybody. I said, please scratch, please scratch. Like, I want to run, I want to run. And uh, he got in. He got in, and we ran against a horse named Champion of the Nile, who was an $850,000 purchase. Right here we are at $30,000. Running against an $850,000 purchase of Linda Rice's, a pioneer of the Nile called New York Red. And he beat us by, like, four. But we were, like, 11 lengths clear of, of third. Mm-hmm. So like, all right, you know, this horse, he, he, he can be okay. And we took him to a, a New York Red Stallion race, $250,000 race in Finger Lakes next time out. I couldn't get a jockey yet. I had to fly in uh, Jesus Castanon from Kentucky, then riding in finger legs. Everybody thinks I'm out of my mind, but I'm like, I really like this horse. I want to get a good rider. And uh, he missed a break and ran third. And then he came back and he had his fourth race. And it's I stretched him out to a mile. And Governor Malibu was in the race. And Governor Malibu was stakes place. And we were stakes place. This is a maiden race at Aqueduct. And um, Jose Lascano was riding for me. I said, Jose, I said, look, I said, this Governor Malibu is a serious horse. I said, we got to get the jump on him. And so we moved probably a little too early, and we ended up running fourth. We got beat a neck and a nose for second and third. Governor Malibu won, and he would go on to run third in the Belmont Stakes the next year. Um, and I just kind of stopped on him. And I put, you know, we stopped on him for the year, and we brought him back the next year. And, you know, it's funny. Everything's kind of 2020 in hindsight. When we brought him back, I said, man, I'm going to wait for Wood Memorial Day because they'll raise the purse $10,000. And so, like, that extra $10,000, that's $6,000 to the winner. I'm like, I think he can break his maiden. You know, the maiden race is the one that you're you're most likely going to do. So run for the biggest possible purse. Mm-hmm. Little do I know that 10000 was going to be, you know, futile to the, <laughs> the total number of earnings that he ends up with. But uh, he ran that day and he won by like seven in the pouring rain. And that's when Biscuits kind of first started becoming minor Biscuits. Quick question in between though, because the trainer on record was Rob Falcon no, Jr. No, originally as a two-year-old was uh, Roderick Rodriguez. And Rod had all our horses. He had off the tracks for us. And um, I was, at the time, I was just managing the horses for, for Jay Stables and doing some other stuff on the side and things like that. And um, when we sold off the tracks, 60% I heard to Todd Pletcher. There was just a little bit of a falling out at the time. And so Rod was staying in Florida and he was a New York bred. So we had two New York breds at the time. We had a horse named uh, Cassie Gordo which I originally named Big Belly and it was rejected by the Jockey Club. So we named him Cassie Gordo and, uh, and Biscuits. And, and we sent him up to New York. And, and so, you know, I'd known Rob for a long time. He was a young trainer and had taken out his license a year or two earlier. And so, you know, we just kind of set it up to where we'd, we'd work together and, and kind of see where, where it went from there. And that's, that's kind of how it took off into, into Rob's name. And eventually as, as time went on, after the Malibu of his three-year-old year, I had a, a few people that had come up to me, Liz Crow, 
um, you know, obviously the well-known blood suck agent. She said, look, so there's a lot of people that want you to train. They want you to take out your license. And I was like, I, I don't know. I really don't want to do it. She's like, look, this is the opportunity of a lifetime and you got to take it. And so I thought long and hard about it and talked to my family and I decided to make that, that transition and, you know, become a trainer. And when Biscuits won for the first time in Dubai in 2017, we went from a barn of about five or six to 60. You know, when, career you, when, making horse. when your, your first ever career win as a trainer is a $2 million race, um, people take notice mm-hmm. and, and people certainly took notice. And I, I got every big owner's worst horse. This was right and wrong at the same time. <laughs> so, you know, Biscuits wasn't an expensive horse. And so that was kind of the horses that were given to me. Like here, you know, make this, make this into, you know, biscuits. And you realize early on. Um, one is completely overwhelming when you go from five to 60 that quick. It, when you're a young trainer and you take out your trainer's license, it, it's best to do it slowly, but surely and gradually build up, build up the you know, numbers. Like you, you look at Brittany Russell in Maryland and how she started out, you know, eight, 10 horses down to two horses, down to one horse. And then gradually now, you, you know, she's got a string in Florida. She's going to have a string in New York. And, you know, you build your team where you have people you can trust and you can put in positions because as a trainer, Look, when I had biscuits, that's that's what you're focusing. You're like, I want to focus in on this. I want you don't want to miss anything. And when you have multiple strings, you need to have a team of people that you can trust explicitly because you can't be everywhere at once. And 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 becoming a trainer is one of those things where you have to transition yourself to you're more hands off than you were before. And it seems awkward because you would think as a trainer you're more hands on, but instead it's you're more on the phone with the owners and dealing with this headache and dealing with that headache and, you know, the feed guy and all, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And if you're not prepared for it, I mean, this game will eat you up and spit you out. And it it doesn't care who you are, how much money you have or anything like that. And let's talk about traveling horses over to Dubai. You're of course currently here kind of in a variety of roles, including advising a fair few people on how to prepare their horse or how to make sure that nothing, you know, develops in, in a negative way or nothing happens. So how is it challenging for anyone, but let's say especially the Americans to bring horses over to this climate? Well, I think in America, we're very kind of like central minded in that we only focus in on America. Like a big travel for us is going from New York to California, which isn't really that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things when you're looking in international waters, Aiden O'Brien shipping horses left and right to any country that, that'll have them and, you know, doing it on the regular. So to, to make a ship to Dubai, to the desert, you know, and here, here's the thing. And, and you know this well, Naomi, but a lot of people who haven't been here don't, don't really see the, the full picture. When you get off the plane in Dubai and you walk out of the airport, it's New York City. It's, it's, it's Paris, it's London, it's Las Vegas. It's, it's one of these things, it's bright lights, it's big buildings. And right away, if you're not cognizant of it, you forget that you're in the desert. And, and it's so important that you realize you're in the desert and hydration is so, so important. And, and you just got to keep after them and make sure they're drinking water and make sure they're drinking water. And there's preparation that goes into it before you leave. You know, I mean, you take a horse like Jesus's team for Jose Francisco D'Angelo and, this is a horse that we started preparing to make this journey in October of last year. And, and I think that's the biggest difference between winning and losing. 
not necessarily just the Americans, but if you just fly by the seat of your pants and you're like, oh yeah, you know, I won a race the other day. Let's just go to Dubai. Like that's like, let's, let's take a chance. More times than not, it never works out because it's so meticulous. Everything needs to go the right way. It's almost like the Kentucky Derby in that way where just if you, if anything goes wrong, you're not going to win. Right. And the Derby, everything needs to go right. You can't miss a workout. You can't miss a race. You can't miss anything. And, and in Dubai, it's the same exact concept. Everything needs to go well to the preparation of going, to being on the plane, to when you land, especially certain things that you have to do to just keep them going on that same path and that same level. And, and it's worked out really well for us in the past. And, and hopefully it'll continue to do so on Saturday. A very exciting nine race card coming up on Dubai World Cup Day. We're going to cover eight of them, the thoroughbred races, starting with the first thoroughbred event, which is race two on the night, the one mile Godolphin mile, a group two here. And just kind of the layout, the feel here, Midnight Sands, uh, Doug Watson trainee, your five to two sort of tentative favorite when you look at the European markets, comes at the back of a, a quite a strong win returning back to Dubai after a stint in the US, which he didn't seem to like that much. How do you rate him in here? It seems quite an open affair. So Midnight Sands is really kind of a cool story, right? This is a horse who was based in Dubai with Doug Watson and was preparing for maybe this race or the Dubai World Cup in 2020. And COVID came and canceled the race. And the owners were kind of game. And and, and I like the horsemanship and the, the sportsmanship that they showed in saying, look, we got a nice horse. You know, let's not leave him in the middle of the desert all summer. Let's let's travel him to the States. And um, they have a relationship with Brandon Walsh. And Brandon obviously does a tremendous job. And, you know, I, I don't think they were overly disappointed with his efforts. Um, it's obviously tough to travel overseas and come over there because over there you have to quarantine for 30 days. It's a little bit different than uh, just coming in and out for a race. So he ran okay. He ran, you know, beaten five lengths by a diamond oops in, in, in a grade two is not a, a disappointing thing. And really, you know, they tried to get him in the Breeders' Cup dirt mile and he was on the also eligible list. He didn't get in. He ran on the undercard and got beat by Sleepy Eyes Todd, who we'll talk about later on in the Dubai World Cup. So, you know, he was running against tough horses and just didn't make it. And so I, I, while maybe a little bit disappointed, I don't think overall it was as as bad as maybe the form might suggest. And the really interesting thing about this, and we've been shipping horses from the States to the carnival for the last couple of years, myself, Mike K from Touch Gold Racing. And, you know, we pay attention to a lot of the trends. And normally when you ship a horse back to Dubai, you go to the quarantine barn in the States and you don't train and you get a little belly on you. And it's 30, 45 days of just kind of light hand walking and and that's it because there's quarantine rules you have to follow in midnight sands case he ran the three times he'd run all year in dubai before that so a 30-day reprieve for him he's not going to pick up that same kind of weight as the others so even though he gets here on december 25th he comes on christmas into doug's barn as a nice little christmas present for doug and he's not overweight he's not overly heavy and so Doug's able to go on and train him and put him right back in a program as opposed to gradually getting ready gradually getting ready and and so while you look at the race that he ran on Super Saturday and Midnight Sands was much the best on that day and you say well you know as we say in America he's prone to bounce he's prone to to come back and you know five to two maybe that's not a good price on a horse like that who ran so good last time and you know that was his first start in four months but uh, 
speaking to Doug Watson, he's very confident that the horse will move forward. Uh, they call him Doug Mile over here in Dubai. He's won the race twice before, and um, you know he's a longtime assistant for Kieran McLaughlin when Kieran McLaughlin was based here. Uh, he worked for Satie Seymart, so he's been around the rounds. And you talk about the 25-year anniversary since the first Dubai World Cup. Doug Watson actually drove the ambulance at the very first one. So everything kind of comes full circle and how fitting would it be if Doug were able to to win his his third Godolphin mile it would certainly be a feat and you know he's he's a Chicago boy he's born in the United States so even though you know Dubai has kind of claimed him as uh, one of their own you know he's he is still kind of an American at, at heart and you know we'll certainly be rooting for him on the night although I'm running against him as I own a piece of one of the horses in the race do tell us about the horse that you have in the race, of course. So, Mike K is one of uh, the greatest people in the world. He's the owner of uh, a syndicate over here called Touch Gold Racing. And, you know, syndicates weren't a thing at first in Dubai, right? Dubai was really Godolphin and Shadwell and the the who's who of, of international racing. And you couldn't compete if you had, you know, you didn't have the blue blood pedigrees and, and that kind of thing. And they've kind of become a as part of the scene now, just like they have in America. And, and now there's a couple of really big ones, the ERC as well. And uh, I think touch gold does a tremendous job and, you know, they'll, they'll buy horses privately or at a sale. And uh, they had a horse that ran second in the Arlington million a few years ago. And I mean, they've really just keep their eye on the ball. Mike's so sharp. And uh, we had an opportunity to purchase this horse Rodini last year. That was a little bit off form, um, which we thought had some excuses into it. And we purchased him to run in the, Godolphin Mile in 2020. We gave him a run in Super Saturday. He ran a good six, got beat like five lengths, and we're all excited. And the pandemic happened and they canceled the race and we didn't get in. And this year he's had a little issues here and there. And we kind of wrote off having any shot of making this race. And just as an aside, we're like, ah, you know, there's a race at Jebel Ali, which I like to call the Gulfstream Park West of uh, of Dubai. And it was a big pot. It was a $250,000 race and it was a 15-horse field. And his trainer, Satish Seymour, had like six horses in the race of which, you know, Satish now will say that he thought he was best. But he probably thought we were, uh, we were six best. We ended up with Pat Cosgraves, who's a great jockey, but not one that rides a lot for Satish. That tells you kind of where you are on the, on the pecking <laughs> order. And... Um, Mike kind of handicapped the race to where there was a little bit of a bias that day and the, the, the rail on the outside or the inside, as we call it in America, was a strong bias and he wrote it perfectly and Pat listened and, you know, Satish and Bupat, his nephew, did a tremendous job and the horse won by five. I'm like, all right, well, that was, that was a good way to end the year and we'll get ready for next year. And all of a sudden, I think they went to the pub on Friday night and they had a good time. And they sent an email to uh, to the people that be, and they said, "Hey, you know, the horse ran good. You know, maybe his his rating will go up a little bit. Maybe he qualifies for the Godolphin Mile in eight days." And and <laughs> and sure enough, the, the next afternoon we get the text message that, "Hey, uh, Rodini's in the uh, he's in the Godolphin Mile. Congratulations!" And eight like, days before the race, I'm like, uh, "What?" <laughs> So, I mean, it's, it's, look, it's exciting. Anytime you can have a horse running on, on the card, um, obviously, you know, I'm kind of famous for saying we don't enter big races for the free lunches, but this one might be a free lunch day. Um, but we'll root for him and we'll hope for the best for Rudini. 
Absolutely. And if you have to rate maybe like your top three of strongest horses in this race, who would it be? I mean, Midnight Sands is certainly the horse to beat. You know, if, if he run, he just has to repeat the same race as last time to get unsettled. I think he, he was so good that day. And so long as he doesn't regress, I do think he's the, the horse to beat in here. There's not a lot of speed in here. Last time, North America, a horse that some people might know is running in the World Cups in the, the few years past. He kind of chased chiefed him, but... On paper, um, if Secret Ambition, who's had a history of not breaking so sharp, gets a little bit left in the gate, Chieftain might clear, and that might put him kind of as a contender in the top three for for trainer Salem Ben Gadiah, who right now is tied in the standings for leading trainer, and you know he's really come on the last few years. He's won this race before, or the barn has won this race uh, before with a horse named Heavy Metal, which was just a cool horse. I think he won it as an eight year old uh, a few years back. So he would be one that I would I would rate a, a big chance to, uh, and I think you also have to look to me. Um, at a horse like Tuz on the outside. It's one of four in the race for Shati Seymour. We talked about Secret Ambition. We talked about Rodini. R- Roman Ross was in this race. People know him from America. He was he was with Bob Baffert trying to make the Pacific Classic and running fifth. He's the, maybe the only horse in history that Bob Baffert couldn't figure out. So uh, he's back here and he's in this race. But uh, Tuz, this is a horse who they called the Russian Secretariat. As a two-year-old, he won first time out by like 19. He won second time out by like 30. And... Uh, he comes to he comes to Dubai and he's he's okay. He's a three year old. He uh, he was competitive and he ran second and and uh, you know with the pandemic didn't run in the UAE Derby and I I saw him. I went over to Zabil um, this morning and man, he looks so good. He looks so so good and I I think he's a horse that might surprise a lot of people and with his pedigree. Being by Oxbow, all of a sudden, with the, on the heels of Hot Rod Charlie's victory uh, in the Louisiana Derby last week, maybe Oxbow is that hot stallion that always a year. There's that 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 stallion that's under the radar that comes in and has a big month, and that might be Oxbow. Tuz at a, a little bit of a price here, I think, could pull the upset off and finally give Satish Simar that elusive win in the Godolphin Mile. Yes, Satishi Seymour, of course, a local stalwart trainer here. I think he's been here, what, 25 years? Maybe he's, more. He's been here since 30 the years. He's, he's been here since the beginning. And look, I'm, one of the things that I've been really spoiled about, when, when I first came here, I was so nervous. I don't. I think I slept outside a biscuit stall. I didn't see anything. There, I didn't go RVing. I didn't go camel riding. I didn't do any of the, the fun stuff. And as I've come back more and more years and as I've um, become friendly with some of these other trainers, you get to go to their yards. And I'm like a kid in a candy shop. And and you go to Zabil, which is, by the way, like literally downtown Dubai. Like right behind you, you see the backdrop. I mean, yeah. look, Santa Anita is beautiful with the mountains. The best view I might have ever seen might be outside of uh, of Zabil. And they have all the toys. They got the cryotherapy machine. And they got... I've been in there. They got <laughs> everything that, that you can possibly ever want. And it's it's just it's crazy. I like Tuz when I went to see him this this morning. He's got ice boots on. He's out in the sun, just hanging out. They're getting groomed. I mean, the sun's hitting him. He looks just an absolute picture. And you know, it, it's it's a wonderful place to train a horse. And, and you know, he's not the only yard that's like Faza for for Salam Ben Gadea. I mean, he's got a zoo in his property. But I mean, there's so many cool things. Even you know Charlie Appleby, where he trains for for Godolphin and Sabins. Or there, there's just so many wonderful private kind of facilities here that are just so different as an American, where we're used to just here's the track, here's your barn. If you're lucky, you know you're a fair hill. Maybe you get a round pen or two. But yeah. this is just a totally different way of life. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we'll move on uh, to the third race of the night. That's the Group 2 Dubai Gold Cup over the uh, quite grueling in the heat here, two miles. My attention went to the number eight, also drawn in eight Spanish mission for Andrew Balding, because I feel like his best races have come on good, good to firm ground. This is going to be his second start after about 126 days off so he should be coming on from his last run uh, it was a group two Doncaster Cup stakes winner which was 3600 meters so he's cutting back a little bit in terms of the I guess his best distance but I think looking at him in the mornings he looks incredibly sharp so I he caught my eye but where do you go in this yeah, I think that there's two things from an American's perspective, right? It's Team Valor that's involved in this horse. They've had success with Animal Kingdom in, in Dubai in the past. And he was actually at Belmont. He won, I think, the Belmont Derby or one of those triple crown, quote unquote, you know, uh, Belmont Turf Series races. So uh, people certainly are familiar with Spanish Mission back stateside. And uh, you're right. His best races come on good to firm turf. It was raining for some reason in Saudi Arabia when he ran in Saudi Arabia last month. Things, you know, you talk about As things that you rain, wouldn't... Yeah, yeah, raining in the desert, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I did think he ran well, but I also thought he had every chance to go by at the end of that race, and he mm-hmm. couldn't. Now, look, I mean, he got beat by Gifts of Gold, who's going to come back here for some reason and run in the World Cup. So, I mean, maybe he's... We'll, we'll, he's talk, in, we'll talk about that in a maybe second, some of the horses in, in the World yeah, Cup maybe that he's are in, intriguing. Maybe he's in good form, and, you know, Ryan Moore is a great rider and rides him back, and he, he has looked good. I mean, we've seen him in the morning time on the training track. Very sharp. And, uh, you know, he, he goes out in, in a pair with his stable mate, and they just kind of go heads and tails like they like to do in Europe. And uh, and he does look good. But, you know, this is a race that I don't think is a, is a one-horse race, and I think, you I know, think. it's a matter of kind of how, how things break, and it's tough to beat Charlie Appleby on his home turf. And Charlie is what I like to call the Chad Brown of Dubai. And I would love, I would sign up right now, you know, for like a seven race series and just have Chad Brown and Charlie Appleby horses on the turf and just see who wins. (laughs) We've seen, we've seen some glimpses of it in the Breeders' Cup in the past. Charlie has, Charlie has gotten Chad Brown a few times in the past. Chad Brown got, got Charlie in the past. So, you know, it's, it's a great rivalry that they have. And, and Charlie's got a couple horses in there. Look, he doesn't have the strongest team. Uh, this year that he's had in maybe in years past, but um, we'll talk about him a few times throughout the the rest of the program. And and Secret Advisor, who's a horse that ran third in that race last time in Saudi Arabia, uh, behind uh, the the Team Valor horse, is a horse that I thought had a little bit of a worse trip. I, I thought kind of Spanish Mission had every opportunity to go by, and Secret Advisor kind of had to check up a little bit. And and I think Secret Advisor was running in that race with this race in mind where Spanish Mission was running in that race to win. I think Secret Advisor was, yeah, of course, you, you want to win and mm-hmm. everything else. But it, it almost seemed like a prep race, especially with Charlie knowing that he had Walton Street on Super Saturday. So try and split these horses up. That I, I kind of thought that maybe Secret Advisor would be kind of tough in this race. And, and I think the other two horses you got to mention, Volcanic Sky, I mean, Christoph Suleiman is... The most underrated rider in the world for a guy who's accomplished everything he has, including, um, unfortunately, missing two Breeders' Cup winners this year due to coronavirus protocols and maybe a false positive test that we won't talk about right now. But um, he's... Don't be he's, hinting at things now. He's uh, he's hungry. Uh, the horse ran well. This is a big step up. In, okay, he's going from a group three mm-hmm. to, to a proper group one. But uh, I think Volcanic Sky for Saibin, Soror, Godolphin, and, and Christoph could, four for Godolphin. Could, run, could run a big race. And I, I think we have to talk about the German horse a little bit with uh, with 
with Mikhail Michael, I mean, she, she's here. She's very excited to, to have a mount on, on Dubai World Cup night. I believe this will be her first ever mount. And, I mean, this horse comes from Germany to, to take on. And he's looked well in the morning. He, he's mm-hmm. training. Uh, the, the thing about Dubai is sometimes you have friends in weird places. You know, so you talk about Spanish mission training in combination with his stable mate. Makes sense. In America, we do that stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Walderby's training in combination with three other completely random horses. I, I think he goes out with Mekong for for Jamie Osborne and a couple of others, and and they're just they're wearing like these orange vests, like they're doing the YMCA. I'm waiting for them to just break out and start doing a dance on the horse path or something like that. And uh, Walderby has caught my eye. He, he's a horse that I think uh, looks okay. I don't know how he stacks up his form over there compared to over here. Um, but yeah, coming from from Italy, yeah, running I, well in Italy as well as running well in France, but hmm. so uh, he's 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 an interesting horse. It may be a little bit of a price, and uh, Michael does a, a really good job. She she held her own when she rode in Japan a little bit, and uh, she was actually supposed to go to Japan this year and couldn't do it due to the protocol. So you know it's good to see her here in Dubai, and you know she's one that I think is a jockey that you have to pay attention to. She's a very very talented rider. Absolutely. As we'll get to the fourth race of the night, the Group 1 Alcos Sprint. Of course, six furlongs on the turf. Now, this to me is a very interesting race uh, as just looking at some of the horses coming in here. Of course, Space Blues will probably be your low-hanging fruit, rattling off uh, multiple wins. Uh, I think it was Group 1 in his last start. Another one that Godolphin is quite well, you know, well equipped in. They have final song here. See, Bin Soror, Space Blues, Charlie Appleby, uh, Man of Promise for Charlie Appleby, Royal Crusade. If we look at the Godolphin horses, I guess you'd have to put Space Blues on top, right? I don't know. Now, he won in Saudi and mm-hmm. he needed the race. It was his first race back um, in, in a while and he needed to kind of get that run into him. He hadn't run in six months and he looked almost rusty. He, he was the best of the race that mm-hmm. day, but he did look a step rusty. The, the biggest problem with Space Blues is six furlongs is probably not his best game. He's not... Look, Charlie Appleby's won this race the last two years, okay? And he, and he had horses like Blue Point where you're like, man, I mean, he knows how to train a turf sprinter. But Charlie told me this morning that he's a horse that he thinks seven eighths is his better game and he's a horse that prefers a turn. And this race is a straightaway. And that might not be Space Blues game. He mm-hmm. thinks he'll be right there till the end. But Charlie... Is not to me. It didn't seem like he had a quiet confidence about him. It seemed like he was a little bit nervous, and and that's very anti Charlie Appleby. Charlie Appleby always kind of eludes this quiet confidence on his horses, and I didn't feel that talking to him this morning. So I'm gonna try and beat Space Blues with a horse that's an American horse with an English background, that's an Irish bred, that was previously trained by by Simon Callahan in California. He's he's a cool, small kind of compact horse. I'm not exactly sure why they were stretching him out. I, I understand. Look, you see Irish bread. You see a horse by Kodiak. You know, maybe you think he wants to go around a ground, but I don't think he does. He's trained by Graham Motion now, and Graham is really kind of sneakily excited about this horse. He's done everything the right way. He was excited when he got to the track, maybe a little too excited, um, and, but he's, he's calmed down a little bit. He's schooled with us in the school session on Tuesday, does everything the right way. I didn't even know he was an entire. I thought he was a gelding. He like nothing bothers the horse. He's completely bomb proof. And Joel Rosario picks up the mount. He rides this horse over a horse in Cowan, who would have been the favorite in the UAE Derby, 
They they bring him back to the shorter race. He has to carry a little bit less weight. Back but, to the turf. But Rosario's going to ride True Valor. And Rosario's come so close in this race. He's run twice in this race. Second, he lost by a nose with long on value for Bill Mott back in 2017. And and then the Philly Belvoir Bay ran an unbelievable race, only to get beat by Blue Point. And then she went on to win the Breeders' Cup. So I think uh, Joel Rosario, maybe this is a day of destiny for Joel. I expect a really big day from him. Um, and it starts here with True Valor. Let's talk really quickly about Karen before we, we move on. I have to think about the time as well. Because he was second in the Saudi Derby last seen behind Pink Kamehameha. But of course, we also know him as the horse that was running down Golden Pal in the British Cup Juvenile Turf. So interestingly enough, instead of going to the UAE Derby, of course, qualifying points for the Kentucky Derby, Steve Asmussen goes here. And, and I like this move. I do. And and the thing I like about this more than anything is Steve decided this with the ownership, the Hillebrots, immediately after the race. There was articles out there that he was going to the UA Derby. And I do think he would be the favorite on the heels of that closing finish, having missed the break and, and running so well behind Pink Kamahamahama. But to me, this is what he is. He looks like a turf sprinter. He's built like a turf sprinter. Golden Powell, in my opinion, is the best turf sprinter in the world. We'll see that at Keeneland coming up next week. And then he'll go on to Royal Ascot and do amazing things. Can't wait to see Golden Powell come back. But Cowan is a turf sprinter. His best numbers are turf sprinting. And look, he gets a huge weight break. And in Dubai, that's something that they care a lot about. He's going to carry two and a half less kilos than the rest of the field. And he picks up a jockey in Luis Saez who's going to be aggressive and maybe have him a little bit closer than he's been in the past. In Golden Pals race, when Ricardo, and Ricardo rides him great, he was a little bit further back than, you know, to try and catch Golden Pal. And missing the break last time cost him all chance. I would expect him to be a little bit closer in a race where it's a straightaway. He's not going to have to worry about a bend. And as a smaller horse, that could almost be a good thing because if he just kind of gets going, he can just kind of catch fire. But he's going to have his work cut against him. There are some talented horses in this field. Absolutely. Race five is the aforementioned UAE Derby. 100 Kentucky Derby points to the winner, 40 to the second, etc., etc. An opportunity for people to perhaps find an easier route into the starting gate to come the first Saturday of May? The UAE Derby was the brainchild of Sheikh Mohammed because the one race that he wants to win more than anything else is the Kentucky Derby. And it's the one race that saluted him. Um, he's got his Melbourne Cup. He's got his wins in Ascot now. I mean, he's won every race on the on the World Cup card multiple times, basically. But he's never won that. And he wanted to go with a horse that was prepared in Dubai, trained in Dubai, and win the Kentucky Derby. It saluted him. He's got a few chances here, including with the Philly and, and Soft Whisper. And in years past, the last five or six years, I don't think this race has been regarded as a true Kentucky Derby prep. And there's some really talented Derby horses on the trail right now, including Godolphin's own home in essential quality but this year there's four or five horses in this race that if they were to run a cracker on saturday we're going to see them in the starting gate the first saturday may this is basically what you would call a win in your in race with 100 mm-hmm. points and even if you run second with the 50 points depending on who the horse is we might see two horses from this race end up in kentucky and so if you guys are waking up early in the morning time this race is about probably about 10 o'clock in the morning, 9.30, turn it on because this is going to be you know, horses you're going to have to pay attention to. And, and there are several horses in here that very well could end up in the starting gate. Um, well, let's get going on the field. We, we'll want to spend a little bit of time because there's a fair few that are intriguing. Uh, 1,900 meters to distance. The Japanese have about three in here. 
uh, as well as Pink Kamehameha, who we just mentioned, who won the Saudi Derby coming into this. But my interest in the morning, just looking at them going around, uh, was taken by France Gold Ina, who was actually the higher fancy Japanese horse to go to the Saudi Derby. I think he had a setback and he couldn't go. Uh, last race that I watched from him back up in Japan, he made an aggressive midterm move, swerved around, took over and looked very professional. And I liked what I saw on track th- th- thus far as well. He's done everything the right way. Um, US pedigree all the way around. He's by Will Take Charge out of a colonel and mare named Dreamy Blues, right? You would think that distance certainly wouldn't be a problem for him. Um, the thing that I found is every Will Take Charge looks looks beautiful. Every Will Take Charge <laughs> trains beautiful. Not every Will Take Charge has crossed the wire first when the racing get a little tough. Um, speaking from experience, I've had a few disappointing Will Take Charges. But um, you're right. Look, I do think he's better than Pink Kamahamahama. I, I think Pink Kamahamahama is a fun name to say. It can be a drinking party game, um, especially as Craig Evans calls the name throughout the uh, card, you know, Pink, Pink Kamahamahama. But I, I don't think he's the better one. I do think that France Godina is the better one. Uh, but we see this every year. The Japanese always look the best in the morning time getting ready for the UAE yeah. Derby. And they've won it one time, I think. Okay. So so I'm taking it with just a slight grain of salt. I, I think that I prefer some others in here. But this is a wide open affair. It certainly is. But anyway, getting back on that name, Pink Kamehameha. Apparently, according to Kate Hunter, who's the liaison for all the Japanese uh, parties here, it's part of a like, Dragon Ball Z. They would go, Kamehameha! And they'd shoot off their lightning bolts. So that's how she told me how to, how to pronounce it because it is a tongue twister. I'm hoping that he doesn't shoot off his lightning bolt too early in this race. Yeah, that's a yeah, good point there. So looking at some of the others, where would you want to get started? I'm going with the number six horse in here, Muhib, who's trained by Nicholas Bachelard, who was a longtime assistant for Christophe Clement. Um, he is an unbelievable horseman. This was a horse that was purchased in uh, America. He's a son of Flatter. He's a horse that I think could end up going to the Kentucky Derby. He's that kind. He's ridden by a horse, by a guy named Ryan Corotolo who rode in America for a long time, a French jockey. And uh, he he is a really, really talented horse that nobody's talking about. He doesn't train here. He trains at Jebo Ali, which is, um, and he's owned by Sheikh Mohammed's younger brother in uh, Sheikh Ahmed bin Rashad. But to me, he was super impressive first time out when he maybe wasn't 100% cranked up. He got beat ahead second time out, and then he won third time out in a group three. He skipped Super Saturday. He's in this race fresh. This would be a career-defining victory for a guy who deserves all those accolades in Nicholas Bachelard. And I think you're going to get a little bit of a price here. He's coming in under the radar in the number six, Mohib. Yeah, I think he's definitely coming in under the radar because there's so many other horses that everyone's been talking about. I thought New Treasure was interesting because he made his debut on the dirt last time out in Saudi, in the aforementioned Derby, he was uh, raised and trained by Jim Bolger before being purchased by Prince Faisal bin Khalid bin Abdulaziz, trained by the maestro and John Gosson, sent over there and, and did well. Now, I'm not sure that the maiden dirt is going to suit him, but obviously very uh, quite a few intriguing horses in this spot. Panadol, the Albastic Kia winner, who looked uh, very strong. He was a, I think it was a f- breeze up horse. He went 21 and flat and he was purchased for about 200. He, he's, had some, he's had some setbacks along the way. He's lightly raced. He's only mm. run the two times. I, I, I think we saw he was still a little green even in winning the Albastic Kia. Yeah. And he was getting five kilos from El Patriota, which nobody talks about, the Uruguayan horse. So, I mean, he was in an extremely lightweight. Um, I didn't like that he didn't really want to switch his leads in the stretch. I, I thought he was struggling. He was just 
are struggling less than the others. And, and I think he's going to have to really step up to compete against some of these other horses. But, uh, you know, another horse that I think we have to mention on an American podcast is the number 13, Minasek, because he's con- she, I'm sorry, is she won the UAE Oaks. Um, Doug Watson's done this before. He ran second in this race with Rhea, um, I don't know, a country mile behind Mendelssohn. But she was still second and then went on to Bob Baffert and ran in the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, Minasek, for sure, is coming to the States following this race. They don't know who the trainer is going to be yet. But this is a filly that we could see in the starting gate for the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, Soft Whisper is another one that could end up in the Oaks or the Derby um, for a while. And, and this is the strangest thing. Frankie the Tory rode this horse, and Frankie the Tory is a world-known, renowned jockey. And he said he hasn't won a race that easily since Dubai Millennium in the Dubai World Cup so many years ago, I think 2009. And, and Soft Whisper did that when she won. She came back. She was the favorite. Mike Smith rode her last time out in the Saudi Derby. She did not like that track at all. She struggled to get over it. This is a different track. This is her surface. I think Soft Whisper runs a much improved race this time. But interesting to see that Pat Cosgraves ends up on this one and not Frankie Dettori. Yeah, that's very interesting indeed. As we'll get going on, I guess we can call it your favorite race, the Group 1 Dubai Golden Shaheen, which is uh, the sixth race of the night at six foot on the distance. As we mentioned, they started on the backside of the dirt track. Now, we were discussing, we, we were discussing this race on the plane quite a bit because I wondered if Yopon was still the old Yopon and you were arguing that we should all be able to at least give a horse another give this horse another chance British Cup sprint favorite was unbeaten coming into the British Cup sprint perhaps he just had an off day that's what I thought on the plane for the last three months that's what I thought for the 14 hour plane ride and 12 and a half hour plane ride that's what I thought the first couple days I was here and and then I saw him breeze and I have all the confidence and belief in the Hall of Famer Steve Asmussen Um, I personally did not like what I saw from this horse when he breezed and from experience Horses tout themselves on this track more than anywhere else I've ever seen. The Kentucky Derby, you have that everybody's an expert the last breeze before the Derby. Everybody was right about Barbaro and wrong about every other horse since then. I didn't love the way that Yapon did it. He was breezing lights out of fairgrounds. He comes in of three straight bullet yeah. works going 59 flat. I didn't like what I saw. And one horse who I loved what I saw from was a horse that a month ago... I, I didn't even think that he was still running. He was with Todd Fletcher for a little while. And that's the outside horse, Senden. And he is, to me, the fastest horse in the race. And we're at the draw today. And to watch Carlos David's head hit the ground, right? When he got post-14. I felt that. I He just that he started shaking his head. And right away, I, I sent him a text message. I said, don't worry. I said, mind your biscuits was post-14. They said we couldn't win it and we got the job done. And, and I talked to him a little bit after after the, the draw and I said, listen, it works out for you a little bit. You're the last one in. You're not going to be in there for a long time in those smaller gates. The gates here in Dubai are, are smaller than in mm-hmm. America. And you can survey everything. This race is loaded with speed. There's 14 horses in the race. Six of them need the lead, not want the lead. Six of them need the lead. Yapan is a horse that's going to break a step slow and from post two is really going to have to be scrubbed out there, especially with Matera Sky in post four. He's a horse that that outbroke XY Jet a couple of years ago. Mm. He led every step but the last one, the last two years of the, of, of the Saudi sprint. Yeah. So 
they're gonna go fast. Zenden is, in my opinion, the fastest horse in the race. Zenden from post fourteen can survey what happens. He's out of the riff rough because they're gonna be scrubbing so hard. Mm-hmm. I can see a lot of bumping and grinding for position early on. He can avoid that, get into a position, and if ridden correctly by Antonio Frezu, make the lead two hundred meters into the race and go on with it. He's touted himself all week long. He reminds me of what I saw from Mind Your Biscuits and some of these other horses over the last few years. It's up against it. I think he's one of the lowest rated horses in the race. We had to really um, pull some strings to get him even invited in the race at a time. He was not originally uh, nominated and invited to the race and some horses dropped out. But Zendin at big, big odds, I think is going to run an absolute monster race. Yeah, I, I absolutely love what I saw. I do believe it was two days ago that he kind of had a little bit of a hit out on the track and was just go- galloping out well held uh, by his exercise rider. Just so much in hand still. So I agree with you. He seems to like the track. He seems to be doing very well. Do we want to mention any other horse? What do you think of Wildman Jack? Is he a wild card in here? <laughs> Doug O'Neill, right? Why not us? I mean, <laughs> this horse is the first American horse to ever win a turf race in Dubai. They stabled here last year for the carnival and him and Persimony, they both sit there and like, oh, we were here before. We know where we are. You know, you, you watch them train and the, like the confidence, the strut that those horses have when they're training in the morning time. It, it's it's great to see. And, you know, nobody would be more happy than me for, for Doug O'Neill and Leandro and the team to, to pull this off. Um, they have a strategy in mind that's, that's certainly an interesting strategy that'll play out on Saturday. Um, but I don't know... If he's this kind on the dirt, he was very impressive last time out in Santa Anita. They made the decision to go to this race instead of the Alquaz sprint, where I think he would have been one of the choices in the Alquaz, which might have been a little bit of an easier race than this race. But I think he's going to be a little bit up against it. The one horse I want to mention is Justin. Now, you talk about a horse who trains in the morning time. I'm pretty sure he's breezed every day since he's been here. Uh, I think he breezed three miles this morning. Um, He's a complete knucklehead he's quirky as can be uh he won the big race in japan um back in december and was set up to run a big race in saudi arabia and he missed the break and his stablemate won capano kicking and william buick and matera sky was second and everybody goes you're on the wrong japanese horse i'll tell you what to me justin is the best of the japanese horses and the japanese have run well in this race before but i gotta root for usa i i agree with you there i i am rooting for the usa as well i mean we want to be the speed of the speed. We want to win the gr- Group 1 Golden Shaheen. And go a little bit slower than 110.12. <laughs> just, you know, just a minor they request They can go 110.13, by... but not 110.12. Yeah. I told Keep the, your record intact. I, I told track announcer Craig Evans, if they do set the track record, just don't say it on the air and maybe nobody will know about it. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. We'll move on to race 7, uh, the Dubai turf over a mile and an eighth. Uh, comes in here... Our, a couple of uh, local contenders, I in particular got drawn towards the, you know, ever enigmatic and, and wonderful story. Well, actually not local contenders, horse that is, of course, trained in the UK, but has been campaigning over here as of late. It's Lord Glitters. He was a Group 1 Queen Anne winner in 2019. And then in 2021, he was sort of back into business with winning the Singspiel and most recently the Jabohata on Super Saturday. And this is an eight-year-old. He's well-traveled too. He's run in eight countries. He ran in the Canadian International. He's run in the Breeders' Cup before. I mean, he's got one of the greatest names in all of racing, right? Um, but 
he needs everything to break his way. Mm-hmm. He makes this dynamic run. He's a pretty great horse. He looks like a silver bullet going down the, the lane. Tries to take him the last two strides. And, and yeah. you know, he split three blue horses, right? He beat three Godolphin horses to the wire last time. And everybody's rooting for Lord Glitters. What a cool horse. He To me, he's never been able to put back-to-back races together. He runs well, but I've never seen that, okay, here I am. Here I am. I'm going to do one better. He runs good and then he runs okay. He regresses just a little bit. But in this race, you can't regress a little bit. This race is too deep and too competitive, especially when you got a horse named Lord North that we saw run in the Breeders' Cup just last time out, at, trained by John Gosden. And this is a little bit of a surprise. We didn't think we might see Mishrift back and we didn't think we'd see Lord North no, back. I and did not expect As soon as I saw that on the racing post come across that Lord North was coming here... John Gosden's coming to win. He's not coming to play. Mm-mm. I think yeah. Lord North has a monster, monster chance. And, you know, he's a son of Dubali who, in my opinion, until Biscuits Runners become two-year-old, is the best stallion in the world. Prince of Wales stakes winner in 2020, but ever since has run okay, but nothing stellar. But still seems to be projected to be the favorite in this spot. I also have a... A little bit of interest in also hell for Charlie Appleby, uh, who was third. He was one of the good old and blue horses that Lord Glitter split in the Jebel Hatter last time out. Uh, before that, ran in Newmarket, did so very well in a, a listed race there, winning by six lengths. So clearly a horse that can absolutely step up because there was a really long gap in between this race here on the 6th of March, Super Saturday, and the race prior. So he was an anti-post heavy favorite going into that race on Super Saturday. I think he might have been like three to five, two to five. I mean, a huge, huge favorite, um, despite having not run in that long time. He looked like a horse who had been eating a buffet for a long time and wasn't ready. He did not look tight, especially for a Cherry Appleby horse. Mm-hmm. I think that was a pure prep race. Um, I think tactics change a little bit. He's drawn perfectly in, in post six. I think he gets undercover a little bit. Maybe doesn't necessarily have to do the work that he did in the race last time. He just looked gassed, to be honest with you. I, if he was a little bit more fit, and I'm never going to question Charlie Appleby because mm-hmm. he's he's one of the best. And perhaps he was using it as a prep race, which is that's, Super Saturday, the purpose of Super that's, Saturday. That's what it looked like. It looked like a pure prep race. And we're used to Charlie Appleby winning at odds on. And so when he loses... it's like, ah, maybe the horse lost a step, but this horse, I think, moves forward off that race, and I agree with you. I think think he's a really, really live contender here. As we'll get going with um, one of the big ones, of course, aside from the Dubai World Cup, is the Longines Dubai Shima Classic, a mile and a half the distance here, and this is is a race I'm very much looking forward to. It's shaping up uh, to be quite a heavyweight sort of battle between Mishraif, who, of course, we saw last winning the richest race in the world in Saudi Cup with a very young, talented David Egan aboard. Chrono Genesis, the Aruma Kinnan winner from Japan, who's looking phenomenal on track. I, I saw her hit out on the turf and just, she gives everyone that kind of almond eye vibe and she's been compared to her as of late as well. I did see that they were comparing her to her. Anyhow, Mogul comes in here as well for Aiden O'Brien. There's a few things with this. One, let's start with let's start with the Philly crowd genesis, who right now is the is the favorite, despite Mishriff winning the twenty million dollar uh, Saudi Cup last time. Um, she's the favorite, and she deserves all the credit in the world. And she's a super horse. And the trainer has come out and said 
This is just the very beginning. We're going to go on with her. We can see her in Ascot. We can see her in America. This is a filly that we could see in the Breeders' Cup um, later on this year. They're, they were very ambitious. And you're right. They are telling everybody she's the next Amini. She's the next Gentle Because they Donna. want her to be. They want her to be. When Amini ran here a few years ago, and, and look, Amini already had a little bit more credentials than Cryogenesis did. Am and I breezed down the lane on the grass course and I got goosebumps. And I've watched tens of thousands of workouts over the years. There's very few that can give me goosebumps. Zenyatta was one that did. Hmm. Am and I was one that did. You're right. We watched Cryogenesis and she gives it her all and she tries and she pins her ears and she just wants to go and she's a fighter and that's great. But she's going into a brick wall in mischief because you want to talk about what we've seen this week. We've seen so many wonderful horses, so many group one horses. To me, it's not even close of what I've seen from a physical standpoint. There's Mishrif and there's everybody else. And Mishrif is training absolutely out of his mind. Uh, David Egan was aboard him this morning. He almost lost him three times on the way to the track. Um, there's actually a really cool GoPro, GoPro piece that we did with him that'll uh, be on Twitter later on on, on World Horse that? Racing, and I, I think he is just tearing down the wall. He wants to run. He's he's come out of the race seemingly um, that was like a prep race for him, despite being a twenty million dollar race. And I'll tell you what, I never thought in a million years there would be a European horse that would be able to sit couple lengths off Nick's go and charlatan I mean they're going fast they're going hard and he was right behind them David Egan sat the perfect trip and he won the race and they go all oh, the two of them battle each other listen that horse was right there the only question with Mishrif is can he get the mile and a half and where is he tactically everybody says that the American horse in this race Okay, the Billmont horse who's been ambitiously campaigned that ran Channel second maker. in Saudi Arabia. Channel maker is the lone speed. He's going to the lead. We talked to some of the owners this morning in Randy Hill and 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 the Reeves family, and they said, we want him on the lead. We we think he'll be in front by 10. If we're going down, we're going down with the sword. Well, I know Jockey Joel Rosario, and he's not ever going to be in front by 10 in any race that he ever rides. So it's just not going to happen. And Mishref is going to be breathing fire on this horse I think he sits close I think he makes the lead much quicker than people will think and I think David Egan's able to give him a breather and shut him off a little bit the split between the 400 meter and 800 meter is going to be the key with him you want to slow it down a little bit so that you have enough in reserve for the finish if he does that I think he can get the mile and a half and he's in this race only for one reason everyone says why is he in this race they want to win the Arc de Triomphe they want to know if he's an Arc de Triomphe horse or if they have to adjust to his rule the rest of the year. Look at a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic down the road and go back to the dirt. Today or this weekend, we'll find out, is he an Arc de Triomphe horse or not? And they're going to have to work hard to do it in the what is probably the race of the day. I agree with you there. And also, I liked how you were talking about the pace setup because that was my question. Who is going to go to the front? Because Mishrif has shown so much speed and Channel Maker is that need-the-leap type horse that if you you know, start holding him back, he starts trashing his head into your face and he's not happy. So be very intriguing to see if indeed Mishrif is just going to say, hey, excuse me, sir, <laughs> here I am, stretching out from 1,800 meters Saudi Cup to the 2,400 meters. It's going to be his stiffest test to date in terms of distance, but... The one thing we learned from this race... Look, this is a good card. It's a competitive card from top to bottom. This is the one where you go, 
is this the breakout performance that we're waiting for? Mishrif, I still don't think, despite doing what he did winning the Saudi Cup, it was a yeah, but. Yeah, but the Americans killed themselves. Yeah, but it was the Saudi Cup. Yeah, but what can he do? Do not underestimate John Gosden. He's a legend. And this might be the performance of the day when we're going home back to America on the plane and we're saying to ourselves, man, Mishrif, I hope he comes to America. I think that's the horse on the day. I love the fact that we're talking about the horse that won the richest race in the world in the Saudi Cup. And we're saying, well, this might not be his best performance. Well, listen, how about the fact that he's not the favorite, right? You, you, you know, everybody always wants to try and beat the favorite. Here's your chance. His, yes, beat the favorite. Exactly. And, and, and mm-hmm. the Japanese are going to continue to bet and continue to bet. And they love their horses. They make plushies. They make jackets. They do all sorts of things. I'm sorry. I'm on the Mishrif team. If they're listening, I want a plushie. Um, also, if they're I am, listening, I love you guys. <laughs> I am also on Mishrif. He's my pick in, in this race. So I couldn't agree with you more as we'll finish things off with the big race on the night. Race nine, the mile and a quarter group one Dubai World Cup. Let's get started we're talking about the horse that you've been heavily involved with throughout his preparation coming over here and that's Jesus's team trainer Jose Francisco D'Angelo horse of a lifetime for him this horse has put him on the map he ran third in the Preakness behind horse of the year authentic champion three-year-old Philly Swiss skydiver ran second to Nick's go in the Pegasus World Cup bypassed Saudi and comes in here fresh a, stra- a strategy involved in that I mean Jesus' team was invited to the race and others took up on the opportunity. Tacitus took up on the opportunity. Sleepy Eyes Todd took up on the opportunity. And it's not easy. I give a lot of credit to to the ownership and to Jose in skipping a $20 million race. I mean, that's life-changing money, but so is $12 million. And if you look at this, I think the right decision was made because he's going to be the second choice going to the post. And you're talking about a horse that was in for 25,000 to life at Gulfstream Park just nine months ago. The, the, the transformation and the turnaround that he's done. And I so I see biscuits in this horse where Jose is with this horse, right? He's, he's his biscuits. And he knows this horse better than anybody. He knows him inside and out. The, the things that he does with them, making sure, you know, we built, we built a round pen here. They don't have round pens in, in Dubai. We built a round pen just for this horse and, and with an eye on, you know, how he is. He's a quirky horse. He's a strong horse. He's a horse that has so much heart. If you go back and watch, and yeah, he's not a stakes winner yet. You're right. He's not. But he tries so hard. He earned second in the Pegasus over Independence Hall. He earned second in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. He earned the Claiming Crown, which is, you know, you're, we're at the post-position draw and you're seeing all these Group 1 races and they're showing Jesus' team winning the Claiming <laughs> Crown. I think it was so fitting for, it, for, it for was what it is quite, and, and yeah. where we are. And, you know, look, that, that race, people will sit there and go, oh, you know, he barely beat, you know, this horse or that horse in the Claiming Crown. The Claiming Crown was purely a prep. It was just, mm-hmm. it was it was low-hanging fruit and, and free money. And he wasn't fully crowned for no, that either. He, he breezed one time between that. He went to the farm for two weeks following the Breeders' Cup, came back, worked one time. Everything that he's done has been with an eye towards this race. And like I said before, earlier in the podcast that's how you win these races you plan you plan you plan you plan and everything has gone exactly how we've wanted going into this race he's breezed on the right schedule that we wanted he's shipped over great he loves this track you see him in the morning time i mean he just looks he looks like the statue of pegasus at gulfstream the way that he strides out and he just loves what he does and and i love the fact that we get joel rosario aboard him with the change in running style look people will look and they'll say man you know he was third he got beat a length and a half by mystic guide 
uh, on Kentucky Derby Day in Saratoga, mm-hmm. he's a different horse, different running style. Comes from a little bit further out of it now. The first horse I've ever seen put blinkers on and drop back, unlike this, the same thing like Biscuits. But he's going to sit there. He'll be fifth or sixth with Joel Rosario. And you're going to hold your heart because he's going to come. And you just hope that Joel... Listen, I think he wins this race. But I also think that I'm going to keep my eyes closed until the wire. Because Joel's going to make it more interesting than it needs to be. I could tell that you're very high on him. Uh, of course, we, we can't uh, continue talking about the Dubai World Cup without talking about tentative morning line favorite in Mystic Guide. And I thought it was interesting that during the draw, they didn't show his grade three Razorback uh, win. They showed the, gra- the grade two Jim Dandy where he was battling with Hayes' team in the stretch. Yeah, it seemed like a little bit of uh, trash talk, to be honest with you. You know, it was like the hometown advantage. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I was sitting there watching the draw. I'm like, why are they showing this one? He was so impressive in the Razorback. He draws off. He wins by seven. If if I'm them, I'd show the Razorback. But they, oh, let's show them where he beats Hayes' team. You know, I felt like that was a little bit of bulletin board material. And uh, don't worry, we picked up on that uh, that little slight uh, video package. I, I thought it was, I, I picked up on it too. Because as you mentioned, very impressive in the grade three razor back after being away from track for about 75 days in the slop, which possibly moved him up and moved some others backwards, uh, resulting in about six lengths win. Pros and cons with Mystic Guide. He's never been off the board in seven lifetime starts. He's been campaigned beautifully by Mike Stidham. He's done nothing wrong. His pedigree says he'll run all day. He's by Ghost Zapper out of Music Note, who was a multiple grade one winner for for Dubai. I think, and he, and by the way, Despite everything that's happened and coming back in 27 days and shipping from Oakland to Fairgrounds and Fairgrounds to Gulfstream and Gulfstream to Dubai, he's held his weight very, very well. And schooling yesterday in the paddock. You're talking about Hayes' team, but no, Mystic Guy. Schooling in the paddock yesterday, I said, man, he looks like an ad for for Darley. He looks like a stallion ad. He he's a stallion. He looks mm-hmm. great. He's held his weight really good. Here's the problem. This was not necessarily their their goal. Team Godolphin was very much on the Maxfield bandwagon for a long time. Mystic Guide was the yeah, but and Mystic Guide was the other run. Mister, mm-hmm. he was the the runner up in the in the in the beauty pageant, right? The the miscongeniality of 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 Team Godolphin. Mike Stidham has conscientiously skipped all these big races along the way, saying he's not ready yet. He could have run in the Derby. He passed. He could have run in the Breeders' Cup after the second in the Jockey Club Gold Cup. He passed. He could have run in the Pegasus. He got a little bit of a fever. He's had obstacles get in his way along the way. And the Razorback, which he ended up only going to because they chose to stay home with Maxfield. So they shipped him off to Oaklawn. Gets canceled. Gets canceled. Push back two weeks. They run the race. Nothing has gone according to plan. And this is where the rubber meets the road. And we're going to see if my theory is correct. Jesus' team has done everything right. Preparing, getting ready. Mystic Guide has not. Obstacles in the way, obstacles in the way. And now here we are. Which one is? Which one wins? The one who's been prepared or the one who's supposed to be prepared? That's what we're going to find out on Saturday. Mystic Guide, certainly the biggest Godolphin hope. Also have Magni Coors and Gifts of Gold. We'll mention them in a second. Because I want to talk about a, a local horse. Perhaps uh, the biggest chance of the locals in Salute the Soldier. Adri de Vries rides. Fozzie Nas trains. He won the Amak Tupin Challenge Round 2. Amak Tupin Challenge Round 3. And the latter he did uh, in quite impressive fashion. Uh, kind of went to the front soon and continued all the way. And Fazi Nas is just the coolest guy in the world. He's from Bahrain. He runs a, a multi-million dollar construction business in Bahrain. I mean, he, he's he's a trainer just because he can. He was an owner before. He took out his trainer's license. He won the Golden Shaheen with Krypton Factor. So 
he knows what he's doing. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, you watch him in the paddock or at the draw show, you, you think he just came off the street. He's wearing like a t-shirt and a, and a, and a hat, you know, like he's witness protection program or something like that. But I mean, we love you, Fozzie. <laughs> he, he does, he does a great job with his horses. He, he's prepared them well. This horse has gotten better and better every mm-hmm. time he's run. I, I think Andres rides him to perfection. Agreed. I think he can work out a great, great trip. I think he got a good post in all of this. Is he, is he good enough? Is he good enough to take on the world's best? You're right. He very well could be the best of the locals. That being said, military law went to Saudi, so didn't run against him in, in, in Maximum Challenge round three. And, and the Uruguayan horse, Ajuste Fiscal, also skipped round three. So round three wasn't the toughest, but maybe that's a good thing because he didn't have to overexert himself and run so hard. My problem's always been Super Saturdays three weeks out, not four weeks out. And, and so it's a big ask in the dirt races to ask him to come back in three weeks. He didn't have the toughest race last time. That'll work in his favor. Is he good enough to beat the world's best? That's what we're going to find out. And let's move on to perhaps another American contender. And the reason I'm mentioning Sleepy Ice Todd here for Miguel Angel Silva is this seems to just be a war horse that has been traveling all over. It's been a horse of a lifetime for Miguel Angel Silva, providing him with his first ever graded stakes win in the grade two Charlestown Classic. It's quite an, a beautiful looking gray that just stands on the track. Everyone loves looking at him. He's just an, an old professional that goes through his race didn't get the best of trips last time out, perhaps, in Saudi Cup. That's the excuse that we've heard over and over. Look, you, you work for Maryland Jockey Club, right? They have something on Thursday morning of Preakness Week. It's called the Alibi Breakfast. And everybody gives their excuse as to why they lost the Kentucky Derby. I like Miguel Silva. He seems like a really sweet guy. I, I wish the best of him. I'm done with the, yeah, buts. I'm done mm-hmm. with the, I didn't have a good trip. I didn't have a yep. good trip. Listen, he'll pick up a check. And it's life-changing money running in third or fourth or fifth or sixth or whatever. I don't see him beating some of these other horses. He he was well beaten by Jesus's team in the Pegasus. It's a big ass then go the Pegasus to the Saudi Cup to this race. Um, he's actually him and uh, he's the only American that's able to do it since Tacitus had a little bit of a setback. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that's too much to ask. I don't care who you are, you're a war horse. Maybe you'll win some battles down the road, but this is not a battle I think Sleepy Eyes Todd wins. Can we try and look at the projected pace setup? Because I know that for Hayes' team, who of course you'd love to see win this race, we want to see some pace develop within the race. Do we think Capizano, maybe Salute the Soldier, are going to move forward? I mean, Capizano needs to go. That's his only chance. I, I don't think this is the same Capizano that we saw two years ago. Um, he seems like he might have lost a little bit of a step. I don't think there's a lot of pace in this race at all, but I think that plays in the favor of Jesus's team because he just needs to just have that setup. And if they go slower early, he's just going to have more in reserve for when they come down the lane. And it's the same thing with Mystic Guidance. The same thing with with all of these horses are in the same boat. They got to trip out. Nobody's better at getting in position than Joel Rosario. And let's talk about a horse that comes out of the Saudi Cup as well and actually ran perhaps much better than his initial odds were going to suggest. He jumped off at 66 to 1 in the Saudi Cup, ran third, and gets Frankie Dettori on board this time, which is great, Scott. So I made you wake up very early this morning. We left uh, We left here about 3.30, 3.15 in the morning 30. time. I regretted my life decisions at the time. <laughs> we, we had to see great Scott. 
mm-hmm. was imperative. He ran third. He did beat Nick's goal to the wire for whatever it was worth. Who is Great Scott? What is Great Scott? It wasn't very warm this morning. Great Scott went around once. Great Scott got extremely hot, extremely bothered, completely washed out. And look, we don't know. We don't know him. Maybe that's how he is every day. Apparently, according to some of my sources who have asked around, he was doing something similar in Saudi, and he's just a really highly strong horse. But it wasn't a nice sight. Yeah. the The thing is, if you're a highly strong horse, and look, this is going to be behind closed doors. There's not going to be any fans here, um, which I think will help a horse like that. It's a long time. You're shipping over from the quarantine barn to the receiving barn an hour and 45 minutes before the race. You're in there for 45 minutes and you're seeing your competition. Horses will get nervous. They'll get washed up. They'll get worked up. Then you're walking through a tunnel for 12 minutes to go into the saddling enclosure. So even though there's no fans, you're getting jacked up. You're getting worked up. You go to the saddling enclosure. Now you got a saddle on. Now you got to wait for everybody to get saddled up. Now you go to the parade ring where even though this is racing behind closed doors, you know there's going to be a thousand people in the paddock like there is in every big race around the world, no matter how many tickets are or are not sold. We saw that in the Breeders' Cup. So to me, if he gets high strung, he gets worked up, he's a total toss for me. Just because he ran third in the Saudi Cup, that's great. Didn't love what I saw this morning. It was fine. It was adequate. It's not good enough to win this race. No, I agree. Let's quickly mention uh, the two other Godolphin runners by virtue of the fact that, of course, this is the race that Godolphin always bids to win was also back-to-back to success with Thundersnow last time that the Dubai World Cup was run in 2019. We have a Magni course coming in for Andre Fab, uh, a turf horse in my opinion, and has run well on the poly track, but not a dirt horse it seems. I mean, congratulations. He's got tremendous pedigree, right? He's by Medallia Dior of an AP and the Mare. And they continue to tell us that, right? Oh, he's bred for it. He's bred it, he, for it. He, he, he'll, he can get the dirt because his father got the dirt and his father's father got the dirt and his mother's father got the dirt. You know, it's like an episode of Seinfeld. But look, we saw him finally run on the dirt this morning, right? I, we were waiting for this. He, yes. he was hiding him on the poly track and going on the all-weather surface. Yeah, and Like and, all the turf horses. And today, and today we saw him on the dirt. And... Um, I talked to some people that know Andre Favre's camp and everything else, and they talked to the rider, and the rider said, man, he, he loved it, and he was looking super over there. He looked like he didn't want anything to do with that dirt at all. If he wins, I lose. I don't care. He is not a dirt horse. He's a wonderful horse. And fool me once, shame on me. shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We saw this. Talismanic was a wonderful horse, and he actually trained good on the dirt in Breeders' Cup. Before the Breeders' Cup turf, he was distance in the Breeders' Cup mm-hmm. in the Dubai World Cup the next year. Unfortunately, I don't think this is going to be much different result. So, how about Gifts of Gold? Another for Godolphin coming in is Saeed Bin Sawar, who is trainer of the aforementioned Thundersnow, has a wonderful record in this race. But this horse went on the dirt two starts back here at Maidan in the first leg of the Al Maktoum Challenge and got well, kind of nearly pulled up. It's sort of safe to say. Yeah, I mean, look, we've we've seen this for years. Godolphin loves to win their race. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want to give themselves the trophy, right? Tiger Woods, when he's golfing, he wants to give himself the green jacket. It's what they do it for. This is the one race they point for every year. Saeed Mansour has run this race more than anybody. He wants to continue to win this race more than anybody. This is them throwing a dart. This is them saying, it yeah, you know like what? We'd be, we'd be more competitive in the, in the Dubai turf. We'd be more competitive in the Gold Cup. But you know what? Let's take a chance. Why not? Why not us? We've had all this luck in the world. I I just don't see it. So we've covered the majority of the field. Any other horses that are worth a mention? 
at 50 to 1 trading right now, Doug Watson's had a really, really good year despite his entire barn getting COVID and him not able to run a horse for three weeks, which uh, is a crazy story that nobody's really talked about over here. The Great Collection was a handicapper horse. He was a horse that was just around for a couple of years. He's gotten better and better and better. And he runs these like sneaky races. He's always closing at the end. And when you're going a mile and a quarter, you need somebody that you know can go a mile and a quarter. This horse I know can get a mile and a quarter. And at a big, big odds to suck up for, for you know, a second or a third or a fourth at, at, at a huge price. If you're playing, you know, those kind of prices at home. I, I really think the great collection is one that you have to include in your tickets. And, and you got to talk quickly about the Uruguayan horse. The first ever Uruguayan bred, trained, owned horse, right? Invasor did this um, years ago, but trained by Kieran McLaughlin. They've come over. you got to support the, the sportsmanship in them to, to have this as a dream, to get in. The horse looked great this morning. He's full of energy. He's bouncing around. He's a, a kind of a one-pace horse. That's getting better and better and better. He's a horse that I think is a contender in this race next year. I, I think he runs well in this race this year, but maybe not quite ready. Wait to see him next year. Because we're talking about Adjusted Fisco, if I said that correctly. To sum up what we've just covered, the nine race card, we covered eight of those races. If you want to give people a best long shot, where would you go? Hmm. The best long shot. From what I saw this week, I'm going to go with Zenden. I like that. He's he's he's, he's showed himself on the track like he's sitting on a big, big race. And speed is speed. I'm talking from a guy whose horse came from last. But speed is speed. <laughs> and he's the fastest horse in the race. I'm okay with post 14, even though there's only been one horse that ever went outside of post 10 in the Golden Shaheen. Um, that horse was Mind Your Biscuits. I, I think we're seeing uh, the breakout of a star in Carlos David, who, you know, just, just two years removed from having his license, uh, all of a sudden Carlos David is the kind of guy that will see strings in New York and strings in Kentucky as, as things go on and, you know, continue the acceleration of Electra Boone, his assistant trainer's uh, TikTok profile. <laughs> Zenon currently available in Europe at 25 to 1. I like it. That's a, a wonderful price play to use. Now, I was going to ask you for your best bet, but I know that you're very high on Jesus' team in the Dubai World Cup. So we wish you and the connections, as well as all the connections running uh, in the Dubai World Cup coming up, the best of luck. This is going to be, hopefully, once again, a wonderful renewal. I'm just glad to be here. Inshallah, and everybody stay safe and sound. Thank you so much, Chad. If you are betting and or watching the Dubai World Cup, you can't help but feel all the wiser after listening to this episode of Talk Racing to Me with Naomi. Thank you to the entire In The Money Media team, as always. PTF, JK, Drew, Coney, and the whole family that are now part of the In The Money Media team full of podcasts. So I highly encourage you to go to InTheMoneyPodcast.com and check out everything that's on offer. Normally... By this time, I would say goodbye and, you know, see you next week. But I have something special coming up for you guys. Another episode of Talk Racing to Me this week. This time featuring a young, well-spoken, highly talented jockey who will be riding at the top of his game, fresh from enjoying the biggest success in his blossoming career. 
Hint, he won the world's richest race. Stay tuned. You do not want to miss this. <laughs>